With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 351 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. How's your week been so far then? Living the dream yet? Oh well, there's always tomorrow. A huge thank you to Megan Grant for researching and writing the episode this week. Thank you, Megan. Do you remember how during the late 2000s, the character John Stape, played by Graham Hawley, terrorised a resident living in the fictional British soap opera drama Coronation Street? John was a cheat, a kidnapper and a serial liar before he escalated to murder, taking the lives of two characters. He was eventually killed off in 2011. However, as we hear today, fact is often indeed much stranger than even a soap opera script. So before we start, let's set some context for our story today. At number eight in the UK charts were the Black Eyed Peas with Just Can't Get Enough. In the US, Rolling in the Deep from Adele was at number six in the charts. And in Australia, at number three in the singles chart was Moves Like Jagger from Maroon 5 featuring Christina Aguilera. In the news this month, a gunman murdered five people, injured 11, and committed suicide in a mull in the Netherlands. Fidel Castro resigned his position of First Secretary of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of Cuba after 45 years of holding the title. At least 300 people were killed in the deadliest tornado outbreak in the southern US since the 1974 super outbreak. It was, I'm sure you'll agree, a sad day for UK journalism as the Daily Sport and the Sunday Sport newspapers ceased publication and entered administration. Prince William married Catherine Middleton in Westminster Abbey this month. The UK's last circus elephant was finally retired, long, long, long after time. And in UK true crime news, police investigating the murder of Sharna Callahan identified human remains found at a second site as those of Swindon woman Becky Godden Edwards, who was last seen alive in 2002 at the age of 20. It transpired that Becky was murdered by Christopher Halliwell, and to read all about his crimes, please check out the excellent book written by my good friends Bethan Truman and Chris Clark. The New Millennium Serial Killer is available on Amazon and all other good stores. Okay, so did you guess the month and year? It was April 2011. Today's story comes from Redhill in Nottinghamshire. Redhill is a small community of about 2,000 people, four miles north of Nottingham, which is a city about 130 miles northwest of London. Have you ever seen a house fire raging, experienced the sheer ferocity of the flames, the heat, and the sense of helplessness if it's suspected that anyone could be trapped inside the property. It is, by all accounts, one of the most distressing things that anybody could ever witness. And this is the scene that faced firefighters over the Easter weekend in 2011 
in Red Hill. When firefighters extinguished the blaze, inside the house they found the body of mum of two, 47-year-old Jacqueline Bartlam. But Jacqueline had not succumbed to the flames or smoke inhalation. She'd been brutally beaten and murdered before the house was set on fire. If that wasn't shocking enough, detectives soon realised that the person who had killed Jacqueline was her 14-year-old son, Daniel. Born in November 1996, Daniel Bartlam was one of two children to Jacqueline and Adrian Bartlam. They grew up in a middle-class neighbourhood and attended a local private school and lived that seemingly normal life that we keep talking about. By the time Daniel was nine years old, his parents had another son, but soon after the parents separated. This separation and then divorce took its toll on the family financially, meaning that Daniel had to leave private school and attend a state school instead. In May 2008, while on a night out, Jacqueline met Simon Matters, and the two hid it off straight away and quickly became an item. The couple were really happy together, and they planned to sell their homes and move in together. It was during this period in February 2009 when Simon really began to notice Daniel's strange behaviour. As Simon was helping clear Daniel's room for the house move, he came across a disturbing discovery. Simon said that during the packing, there were bags of Jackie's underwear that Daniel had taken. I don't know why. There was a washing up bowl full of Star Wars figures, which had been mutilated and urinated on. It was all a bit strange, but we just laughed it off because we thought it was just one of those weird things that kids do. In addition, Simon also came across a large stash of horror movies. He said, It was then that I noticed the amount of horror films he had on his shelves. There was the Halloween trilogy and Saw among the films and DVDs. I confronted Jackie about my concerns, but she just laughed it off. I didn't want to push it too much because he wasn't my son, but I was worried. From the age of 12, Daniel became extremely reclusive. When he was not studying at school, he was in his room, where his walls were plastered with posters from horror movies. Alongside watching these horror films, Daniel played video games such as Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto, but it's not particularly unusual, is it? I'll suggest it isn't anyway. According to Simon, Daniel spent a lot of time fixing up laptops in his room. He had little interest in anything other than being in his room. He was not really into sport or music. And the more isolated Daniel became, the more he was becoming immersed in a fantasy world that was filled with violence. As time passed by, the teenager's obsession with fictional violence became a reality, and this was shown in several incidents in 2010. On one occasion, Daniel trashed the family's shed and damaged plants in the garden. His erratic behaviour soon turned on his parents too. Daniel went face to face with his mum with his fist clenched just because he was refused pizza for lunch. Talking about the incident later, Simon said, You just lost it, and he was bellowing at his mum. I had to step in and tell him to stop. He ended up running upstairs and hitting himself on the head. Daniel also hit his brother on several occasions. As I'm sure you know, for decades there's been a huge debate about whether the consumption of violent media can turn a person into a killer. 
This debate was notorious in the US, especially after the school shooting in April 1999 at Columbine. It was discovered that the shooters, whose names we won't mention, were avid players of Doom and Mortal Kombat. And because of this, video games were instantly blamed for the killing that took the lives of 15 people. But this debate is not just prominent in the US, we also saw it in the UK and we still see it. The movie Child's Play 3, which follows serial killer doll Chucky, came under scrutiny in the early 1990s following the horrific murder of James Bolger, who was murdered by 10-year-olds John Venables and Robert Thompson. A scene in that movie shows the killer doll being splashed with blue paint after having his face bludgeoned, which shared sickening similarities to Jamie's death. And it was reported that John Venable's dad had rented the movie just a month before James's murder. Daniel did not only heavily consume violent media, but he also wrote several disturbing stories. Simon explained that Daniel would show him the stories he had written on a weekday evening. It would be quite gory. It would include someone getting killed and fighting. And this kid had hurt someone at school. And that kid would go back and kill him. I would read it and give it back to him. Then he would go and show his mum. And she was the same as me. She'd give it back to him and be like, Daniel, what are you writing that for? In the year leading up to the murder, Daniel displayed increasingly concerning behaviour at school. During one incident in class, Daniel became upset and frantically said that his tie, which he had named Fred, was trying to hurt him. Daniel confided in the school counsellor and said he was having bad dreams and hearing voices that were telling him to harm people. And just six weeks before the murder, in March 2011, Daniel attended a mental health examination at the nearby Thornywood Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. This examination concluded that Daniel showed no signs of mental illness, nor did he pose a risk to himself or others. Simon told how, when he found out, he was delighted, absolutely delighted. I remember him hugging his mum and smiling because he was so relieved he was not going mad. But shortly after, unbeknown to the rest of the family, within the walls of his bedroom, he began his sickening plot to murder his mum. Daniel spent Easter Sunday like any other teenager. He played on his Xbox, he watched movies, he took the family dog Meg to get her coat trimmed, he mowed his mum's lawn and ate Easter eggs. But during the early hours of Easter Monday, Daniel sneaked out into the shed where he picked up two hammers. He then crept into his mother's room where he launched a savage attack on his sleeping mother striking Jacqueline seven times in the head with a claw hammer. Once he was certain that she was dead, Daniel then covered his mum's lifeless body in newspapers before setting her on fire, causing a raging fire in her bedroom. He left a second hammer close by the crime scene to make it look like the perpetrator dropped his weapon before fleeing, whilst ensuring the weapon he had used to kill Jacqueline was wiped and Daniel then hid it in his bedroom. I wonder if, like me, you are pondering just how much planning Daniel actually put into the crime. And was it really a fantasy that he didn't plan to see through? And if so, it's hard to understand what it was that actually made him see it through and turn the fantasy into reality. 
As the fire was blazing, Daniel attempted to portray himself as a hero by carrying out his younger brother and his dog from the house. When the police and firefighters arrived at the scene, Daniel claimed he had chased the masked intruder out of his home before running back in to save his brother. For a brief period, this story was bought by people, and why wouldn't it be? And Daniel was hailed as a hero. However, his story contained so many inconsistencies, which were quickly picked apart by the police. Within 24 hours, forensic experts managed to piece together what had happened that fateful morning, and Daniel was quickly arrested. Daniel at first kept up with his masked intruder story until he eventually cracked and confessed to the murder of his mum. He told detectives he'd just snapped after a series of rows and that Jacqueline had called him a freak when he couldn't find his trainers. But as the investigation deepened, the detectives would soon realise that Daniel did not snap. He meticulously planned his own mum's brutal murder. On Daniel's computer, detectives discovered incriminating evidence, which included internet searches for how to get away with murder and sentences for manslaughter and murder. Daniel had also written a script for a soap opera where his character would commit assaults and murders. An extract from this script said, Daniel Bartlam, 1997 to 2047, was the longest serving male character to be on the show. In the story, the character was depicted killing his mother in a brutal manner, one that eerily mimicked his real-life murder. It said, the only place he couldn't get away with his bad deeds were with his mum, Jackie. So one evening, he made it look as though it was a break-in and murdered his mother with a hammer and then set her and the family home alight. The police also discovered disturbing drawings that depicted a woman with two knives stabbing her bloodied eyes with the words, Die, bitch! and death to all, written next to the drawings. Further searches on his computer uncovered more concerning material. The teenager had been compiling a range of violent scenes from films, including Saw, which, as you may know, depicts killings and torture, and also violent scenes from TV soap operas, including Coronation Street and EastEnders. Police also discovered the killer's obsession with Coronation Street villain and killer, John Stape, which I mentioned at the very introduction to this episode. One of the clips that Daniel had uploaded to the internet was a violent climax of that 2010 plot in Coronation Street, where John Stape brutally bludgeoned stalker Charlotte Hoyle and buried her body in the wreckage of the tram crash. Understandably, we are left shocked, aren't we, when children commit crimes such as these? And it leads to many questions such as the obvious one. What could possibly lead a child to become a cold-blooded killer? There are many theories. One academic, Dr Kathleen Hyde, defined three categories of children who kill their parents. Firstly, the severely abused child, where they kill to end years of abuse. Secondly, there's the dangerously antisocial children who kill to get what they want. The final category is the severely mental ill child who often suffers from severe delusions and hallucinations. Let's come back to where we think Daniel might fit here later in the show. The act of matricide where a child kills their mum was first recorded, as far as I can see, 
in 284 BC when Amastris, the Queen of Herculea, was drowned by her two sons. In the UK, the stats show there were 693 acts of parricide, the wider term for the killing of one's parent or parents, between 1977 and 2012. Astonishingly, to me anyway, this equated to one parent killed every 19 days in England and Wales. Of the victims, 51% were dads, 41% were mums. The ages range from 25 to 101, and the most common methods of murder range from blunt or sharp instruments at 60%, strangulation at 16%, kicking or hitting at 10%, and shooting at 7%. Are you surprised by those numbers too? During his trial, Daniel said he was driven to murder as he was subjected to physical and verbal abuse at the hands of his mum but this was of course strenuously denied by all who knew Jacqueline. Daniel Bartlett was found guilty of his mum's murder and sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 16 years. The judge told him this was a grotesque and senseless killing, made all the more shocking because at the time you were only just 14. What your motive really was remains unclear. It seems that you wanted to see if you could get away with the perfect murder. You acted out the script you'd been writing on your computer in the preceding weeks. The devising of this plan is borne out by internet sites you've been looking at, many of them concerned with murder and people who get away with murder. You viewed Trial and Retribution Series X, The Sins of the Fathers, and the murder committed with a hammer by John Stape, character in Coronation Street. After the trial, Jacqueline's former partner Simon gave his view on why the attack happened, saying, I think he did it because he thought his mum was the easiest target. She was lying in her bed asleep. He thought he could get away with murder. He is callous and he doesn't care about anybody other than himself. It seems that Daniel watched so many violent films and video games that he simply lost track of what was real. Jacqueline's parents, devastated of course, they said. Daniel attempted to make out that Jackie was a bad mum, which couldn't be further from the truth. She loved her boys and would do anything for them. We find it so hard to explain what we're going through. There are no winners here, because not only have we lost Jackie, but we've lost Daniel too because of what he has done. We know it was the right result at court, but trying to understand how a boy you have loved for 14 years can do something like this is so difficult. The most difficult part for us, and something that only Daniel can answer, is why. Finally, following the sentencing, the lead detective said, The level of violence, degree of planning and extent of his lies is not only shocking, but it's also chilling a boy of 14 could do this. It was also revealed that following Daniel's arrest, during his time in the secure unit, He snapped at a fellow young person, I could kill her, just like I killed my mum. So what do you make of what we've heard today? The murder of Jacqueline Bartlam left her family and local community, and indeed the nation, reeling from shock. When these terrifying acts of children who kill occur, the media coverage is extensive and not always very subtle. As it was with Daniel, his face was plastered, 
over all the British newspapers, with the Daily Mirror labelling him as a devil child. It's clear with hindsight that Daniel's behaviour slowly escalated from the period of his parents' divorce, switching schools, a new birth and then a stepdad. Could these events have led to his feelings of inadequacy? It's easy to make the case, isn't it, as amateur psychologists, that so many other children around the globe go through the same events and much, much worse. They don't kill their parents. Let's go back to Dr. Kathleen Hyde's typologies of children who kill. Where does Daniel fit in? So there was no reported abuse growing up, so that can be struck out. Then despite telling healthcare professionals about his hallucinations, he was not deemed to be mentally unwell. So that just leaves the antisocial typology. Was Daniel a budding psychopath? Would he have gone on to kill more? According to reports, he showed no remorse for his actions. The media coverage, of course, highlighted his consumption of violent media. But study after study has indicated that such entertainment does not cause an individual to become violent. But there is no denying that those obsessed with violence will seek it out in any way they can. And potentially that was the case with Daniel, who'd become so immersed in a fantasy world that all revolved around violence. I think that like all cases we cover on this podcast, it's easy to look at violent acts as statistics and a so-called devil's child on the pages of a newspaper, well, the Daily Mirror anyway, and not to see it as real, that it really happened. And as we say so many times, it's sometimes so easy just to see it as something that only happens to other people. You know, this sort of stuff never happens around here. But as we all know, because we're listening to this podcast, that is absolutely not the case. It happens everywhere and to all families. It happens to real people with real lives. In this case, Jacqueline, who had her future so brutally extinguished at just 47 by her own son. Her hearts go out to her devastated family and friends. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK true crime, please just jump over to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk UK true crime 24-7. I think on Christmas Day last year there were 18 threads. Come and join us today. It's a genuinely friendly place. We've got a fantastic admin team. And to support the show, please do head to Patreon for bonus episodes, competitions, and loads of other exclusive content. A huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Ling Jamie Lau, Limerence, and Sammy D. Thank you so much. Your support is so, so appreciated. So please do come and support me at Patreon and keep my podcast being released weekly for less than a cup of coffee a week. And that's just a flat white. None of your fancy stuff. Just head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime. Okay, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast and the only podcaster with the freedom of the saunas of Rochdale. That's been done for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, I just want to thank Megan Grant again for the story this week. Thank you so much, Megan. And please do take it easy and remember despite all the others. Stay classy out there. Cheerio for now. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.